today, the subject matter of what we're learning is pretty intense. It's pretty intense stuff, which I like, and it's really good for us to hear, I think. Um, I'm going to stick to my notes a little bit more than I usually do, just because I want to make sure I say everything right, because this is a very important subject. And yeah, I'm excited. Also, it's taking me a long time to find Matthew. I met Mark. I'm almost there. So excited. Matthew 13, Matthew 8, Matthew 6, Matthew 3. Here we go, Matthew 5. All right. We're going to be picking up our series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, him giving basically his best messages to people on how to live your life, how to be happy, how to be blessed. Um, And we're going to pick it up in verse 27. Let's pray first, though. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for what you have for us, God. We thank you so much for your word and what it says to us. And I pray, God, that you would speak very clearly today through your word. I pray that you would take away just everything that is me and replace it, Lord, with everything that is you. I pray that your word would be heard loud and clear and that we would understand your message for our hearts today. I ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. Verse 27 says, You have heard it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So that's intense. Like just right off the bat, Jesus is like, adultery, it's bad. Don't do it. And it would be better for you to just chop off body parts than to do it. That's, that's intense stuff. Jesus starts off right away being really intense in this section. And I've never taught on this before in junior high. This was always one of those things where I was like, uh, yeah, like maybe let's not go into too much detail about this. But you guys are in high school, and this is real stuff, and we live in a real world. So we're going to look at what Jesus has to say to it. Um, Jesus has been announcing his kingdom. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is. He gets together his disciples, and he's telling them, I am bringing the kingdom of God to you. So he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about God reclaiming his world from what we humans did to it, messing it up. And Jesus is talking about bringing a new rule and reign uh, to humanity. He's calling his followers, and he's bringing in a new kingdom. It's not about the old kingdom. It's not about whether or not you're American or a Jewish person or a British person. It's about do you live in the kingdom with Jesus. Jesus wasn't just like, hey, one day you'll die and go to heaven, so just make sure you do good things on earth. Jesus is like, no, we're going to be in heaven one day, but the kingdom starts now here on the earth. So the way that we live is extremely important. And everything that he says, it's, it's upside down values from what we normally hear and what the world says. And it's very much true today. What Jesus teaches is completely flipped upside down from what the world teaches us about things, including sexuality, like we're talking about here in verses 27 through 30. So 
We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking about the good news of the kingdom and what life in the kingdom looks like. And Jesus is saying, he's like, I'm not here to undermine or push away the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, I'm here to fulfill the law. All those rules, those are important, but if you miss Jesus, then you miss the point of the rules. And so uh, Jesus, he, he always would quote from scripture, and he always would quote from sayings. Like Jesus would, he, he's basically, he's in front of a whole bunch of people, and he's teaching, and he's saying, hey, you've heard this teaching. You've heard that, uh, you know, if you murder somebody, then you're in trouble. But then Jesus says that, I'm, I know you've heard that teaching, but let me take my own teaching and place it right next to that teaching. And he's showing that his teaching is an authority. He's showing that his teaching is just important as the Torah and the original scriptures. Jesus is saying, you've heard it, that if you kill somebody, then you have sinned against God. But I tell you, if you're angry at somebody, if you're holding on to anger and bitterness against somebody, you're basically murdering them in your heart. And so Jesus is, he's saying these teachings to show people my teachings are an authority. He's placing them right next to the Bible, right next to the authority. And that's why they now are in the Bible. We Christians look at them as an authority because it's Jesus's words. But back then you have to understand the crowd he was teaching to, they were hearing this for the very first time. So, in this section, this is where Jesus kind of gets into our business. Like, he kind of pries into our life, and he's like, hey, I've got something to say about the way you live. And um, he would talk about sex and marriage, and there'd be lots of discussion and debate and controversy. <laughs> um, controversy, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, and what we want to do today is we want to like move towards what Jesus is saying, and we want Jesus to challenge us. We want the words of Jesus to like actually make us go, Am I living the right way? Like, we don't, we don't want to just listen to what Jesus says and go, all right, cool, Jesus, like, good word. We want to hear what Jesus is saying and go, maybe there's something I need to do different based on the words that Jesus does. And Jesus here, he's talking to all different types of people. He's talking to disciples. Those are the people who are up on the mountain who are like, we're, we follow Jesus. And there's people in this room today who you would describe yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're a follower. You, uh, you heard Jesus' teachings and you're going to hear them today. And you're going to say, I'm all in because I'm a follower of Jesus and I do what he says. But maybe there's some of you guys in this room, like there were up on that mountaintop, of people who kind of grew up around churchy stuff. Maybe you grew up around churchianity. Uh, maybe you grew up around religious people and religious things, but you never really bought onto it for yourself. And maybe right now, maybe you've rededicated your life to Jesus recently, and maybe you're rediscovering the words of Jesus for the first time. There might be some of you guys who didn't grow up around the church. Maybe for the very first time, you're hearing Jesus's words today. Maybe you've never heard these teachings and you're like, what is this? I don't understand. Uh, why do Christians make such a big deal about sex? Like, why is Jesus making a big deal about sex? That doesn't really make sense. Well, there's something I want to say is kind of a little like warning beforehand. Jesus up on this mountain, he is talking primarily to his disciples. Those are people who have identity in Jesus and his words. If that's not you, if you're not here today, if there's anyone here in this room today and you're like, uh, I don't really follow Jesus. Like I like what he says, but I wouldn't consider myself a follower. You need to understand you're not the primary audience here. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Um, it's important because one problem is as a, as a people of the church, sometimes Christians, we can make the way we feel about sexuality kind of like the first thing we open with. For instance, we see somebody who's a homosexual and the first thing we do is like, hey, you're wrong. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. That doesn't make sense because that person isn't a follower of Jesus. They don't understand 
understand Jesus's words. Like it, it doesn't make sense to bash people in the face with our views on sexuality until at first they subscribe to what Jesus says. So for those of you guys who follow Jesus, these words, these are for you to take and listen to. If you don't follow Jesus and you're here in this room, these words are for you to listen to and go, what is Jesus talking about? Should I follow him? And I hope that the words of Jesus will help you understand that he is somebody worth following and that his words are truth. So here's what Jesus says. He says, you've heard, don't commit adultery. Right, there it is. Like, hey, you've heard it said, don't do it. It's bad. Don't commit adultery. Then he sets his teaching right next to it. He says, if you even look at a person who's not your husband or your wife and think lustfully towards them, then you have committed adultery. That's really heavy. That's extremely heavy. He's setting his teaching as an authority. He's saying being a part of the kingdom, it's not about changing your behavior. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about, hey, you're doing bad things, change your ways and do good things. Because Jesus, he always goes to the root issue. Jesus always attacks the heart because the root issue, like something that's a root issue, it's something, it's not necessarily on the outside, it's deep buried inside. And Jesus always, he doesn't just look at the outside at the sins that people does, but he looks deep into the heart and he says, forget about all that outside stuff you're doing. We need to attack the source. Jesus is telling us that there are things in our heart that can degrade our humanity and the humanity of others. He's talking about the heart. Verse 28, where have they committed adultery? Where does it say? Look right in verse 38. But I tell you, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What do we do when Jesus turns up the heat? What do we do when Jesus is like, hey, let's talk about something really, really personal. Let's talk about something that nobody necessarily knows that is going on. Let's look at the issues of the heart. What is he saying about adultery? He's saying, well, Jesus has a whole view on marriage and sexuality. Um, people would ask him, they'd say, Jesus, what do you think about marriage? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And Jesus would always go to scripture because Jesus's world was shaped by scripture because Jesus looked at the Bible and he said, these are my father's words. So my entire world relies on the words that my father wrote. So Jesus, when they asked about marriage, he would always go to page one and two of the Bible, which is basically Ab and Eve. He would talk about how um, men and women were created for one another and they reflect the image of God. Did you guys know that you, your bodies, you were actually created in the image of God? And he talks about marriage as something that is so powerful. Something really powerful happens when two people make a covenant together. What a covenant is, is it's an agreement. It's like, that's what marriage is. It's not just a piece of paper. It's not just saying vows. It's not just, you know, a ceremony. A covenant is something that's long lasting and it's forever. That's why I wear a marriage ring, and a ring is a circle which never ends, and it's a symbol that I am in a covenant agreement relationship with my wife, where I have made a covenant, a promise to her that I will be loyal and, and forever true and, and, and loving towards her forever until we die, and that's something I'm super happy about. Uh, I told my wife, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, how many people in the past in your family have been divorced, that ends with us, that we are not going to be a part of that chain. Um, we will hopefully be the start of a new chain of people who stay together for a long time, and hopefully our kids and our kids and our kids will last throughout our example. That's the hope. Um, but there, a covenant, is, it's a beautiful thing. 
It's a reflection because Jesus made a covenant with us. God's covenant with us is his agreement is, I love you, I died for you, and if you put your faith in me, my covenant with you is that I will never again destroy you, I will always forgive you, I will always love you, I will always guide you. Our, our marriages and your future marriages, and I hope all of you get married, and I'm excited to see that, uh, your marriages will be a covenant. It's something that's sacred and beautiful. God created it to be a reflection of his relationship with us. And anything that threatens or perverts or distorts what it means um, to be married and marriage, it, it, it distorts and it perverts what it means to be human. See, <clears throat> we know, of course, don't commit adultery. Don't sleep with somebody who's not your spouse. But that's not even close to the heart of it. That's not even close to the start of it because in, in a wedding, you make a commitment to people and you say vows in front of people. And then one day, maybe a, a day or a week or a month or 10 years later, somebody ends up sleeping with somebody they're not married to. How does that happen? Well, it's not because someone wakes up and says, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to commit adultery. Like that doesn't happen. Nobody wakes up and just says, I'm going to go do that. It's a slow simmering of heart issues underneath the surface. And it ends with sleeping with somebody besides who God has given to you as someone you're married to. And the, the bad news is maybe for some of us that if you're thinking, well, I'm not married to anyone, so technically I can just sleep with whoever I want right now and I'll be fine. Um, the problem is uh, that you are technically and definitely, according to Jesus, still committing adultery because you're not married to that person. So technically you are cheating on your future husband or wife, which is sad. Jesus is shooting for the heart and it's really simple. What Jesus says here is really simple, but it's also a bottomless lake of depth. It's not just about ending up in bed with somebody. We have to swim further upstream. And if what Jesus is saying is if you even look at somebody, if you even look at someone lustfully, what does that mean to look at someone lustfully? Well, Let's throw up, there's a slide, only one slide we have today. I lied to you, Timothy. Um, throw up the next one that comes up. So here's what he says. These are a couple different translations that we can see. In Matthew 5, 28, in the NIV, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, anyone who looks at a woman with lust for her, with lust, and this one right here, ESV, one of my favorites, um, it says it really well, with lustful intent which means anyone who stares at somebody in order to fuel sexual desire. So, it's pretty clear. The English word look can refer to a glance, so you just, you look around like, oh, you notice somebody, or a stare, where you're just like creepily staring at somebody. Um, anybody who's angry with someone, Jesus says, has committed murder. It's not talking about the instant. Like if, if my mom, you know, says to me, I, I don't live with my mom anymore, but if I did and she was like, Aaron, pick up your shoes. I got mad for some reason. It wouldn't be that I had murdered her. What Jesus is talking about is he's talking about that slow simmering bitterness where you're just angry towards somebody and you're carrying around that bitterness in your heart. You have in your heart murdered that person. 
It's the same thing. Jesus isn't talking about the instant where you're looking around. You know, girls, if you're at the beach and you're looking around, you see some guy, you're like, oh, he's cute. Like, it's that instant, that instant, like, just you notice somebody, you notice they're attractive. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Guys, if you're at school and there's some girl sitting next to you and you look and you're like, oh, she's cute. That's not what it's talking about. It is talking about an ongoing, sustained stare. And it has to be for what purpose, for what goal? It's saying, to fuel sexual desire for somebody, to stare at them, to fuel that desire. And we exist in a world where there are attractive people. Like, we can't get beyond that. (laughs) There will always be people who attract us. Like, we'll look around, we'll see somebody, and we'll go, oh, they're absolutely attractive. I get that. There There are beautiful people in the world, and they reflect God's image, whether they are, you know, a supermodel or a, like, male model, or whether it's some homeless guy. I talked to some homeless guy today in the alley, and he was honestly, dirty as he was, a beautiful human being. He was brilliant, and he studied at a college, and he used to be a professor, and now he's living on the streets, and he has no teeth, and, but he just knew so much. And even if he hadn't known anything, even if he had been just a totally just dumb guy, he still, there was, there was beauty in him. People reflect the image of God no matter what. Um, but Jesus isn't talking about when you notice someone who's attractive. He's talking about the choice that you make after you notice the attractive person. Do you choose once you see the attractive person to refocus? You know, you see them and you're kind of like, okay, I'm not, not going to stare. Or Do you look at them in the face if you're talking to them? Or do you check them out? Do you look them up and down, and as they're walking away, you're checking them out even more, and you're, you're staring at them, or maybe you're looking at a photo of them, so it's, not, it's even more awkward, and they can't see you look back at them, and you're just staring at them, analyzing every detail of them. Do you use them? Do you use people to fuel sexual desire? That's what lust means. This is something that's very obviously very personal to us as human beings. This is, but Jesus addresses it. He talks about it. What lust means is to fuel. It's to throw fire. It's to throw gasoline on that fire of sexual desire. If you're a girl and you've been the victim of that stare, you know what Jesus is talking about. You, if you girls know what it's like to have a guy just give you that creepy stare and check you out. My, my wife has told me a couple of times that she's been driving and there's been creepy guys just checking around. I'm like, I wish I could jump out of my office and fly over and punch him in the face. Um, if you're a dude and you know, you've stared at a girl in that way, you know what Jesus is talking about or vice versa. Because, you know, double standards, Um, you know, girls can check out guys too. Absolutely. Um, I remember in junior high, one of the things I hated the most was when junior high girls would post Man Crush Monday posts, and it'd be all these guys, like, just ripped, like, shirtless, like, dripping wet from the swimming pool, just like, ugh. And that's obviously not an attractive face I made. I don't actually know how to do that. Um, (laughs) I don't know how to make a good-looking face. I practiced in the mirror. It didn't work. Um, But, you know, if a guy were to post, like, girl, woman crush Wednesday and some girl in a bikini, obviously we'd be like, oh, that guy's but girls, I mean, come on, I'm just saying, um, there are double standards for sure. There are, whether you're a guy or a girl, every gender struggles with this issue. Jesus is saying the intent, intentions, that is the key. You have to be an intentional person. What it means to be intentional is just that you have a reason and a plan for why you're doing something. You have intentions. If I go to the store and I buy flowers, I would never buy flowers just to buy flowers. I would never be like, oh, it seems like a flowery day. And I would never just buy some flowers. I'd be like, no, I have intentions. I'm going to give these to my wife. It is a flowery day for Brooklyn. Now, I would never do that. Like, If I was single, you, there would never be a reason 
besides a girl being involved that I would ever, ever, ever buy a flower. Um, that makes me sound like such a grinchy person towards flowers. Anyway, what Jesus is saying is it's the intent and the heart. Ending up in bed with somebody who's not your covenant partner, right? Covenant partner, the, the, the wedding ring, like just eternally bound together with the person who's your soulmate, who God has for you. Ending up in bed with somebody who's not that person, and it doesn't matter if you're engaged and you think that person is going to be your covenant partner. If you're in bed with somebody who's not currently your covenant partner, what Jesus is saying is it's, it's just a symptom of a greater disease. He's saying that look, that stare of lust that allows you to generate that little movie in your head, what Jesus is saying is it's a symptom of an adulterous heart. And it is just, it is intense. It's intense. Jesus is getting at the fact that there's something going on inside of us that nobody sees. And, and maybe you've seen that awkward stare. Boys, maybe you know that awkward stare because you've seen your friends and that cheerleader walks across the, the street and your, your friend's face just goes, like following her like down the schoolyard as she's walking. And you know that awkward stare. It's always really embarrassing when we as humans are caught checking other people out. It's, and especially when people call us out on it. Uh, it is awkward and it is embarrassing. But what Jesus is getting at is there are sexual images and little movies that we can play in our head and, and no one knows about it. No one knows if you're doing that. You can't police that or detect it. It's utterly private. And what Jesus says here is the issue is not with noticing. It's the choice of what you do afterwards. Martin Luther, one of our greatest theologians of the past of the Reformation, he said, we must not make the application of Jesus's teaching stretched too tight, as if anyone who is tempted to look at a person with lust is eternally down. He's saying we, sh we shouldn't stretch this to the point where, you know, if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm going to hell because I'm constantly, like, tempted to look at people and lust after them. Um, that's not that, what Martin Luther is saying. That's, that's not the point. He says, consider this. I cannot keep a bird from flying over my head, but I can certainly keep it from making a nest in my hair right? Does that make sense? And when it comes with those feelings of temptation and lust, I mean, Jesus says, I mean, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that humans are possibly tempted. I'm sure that Jesus was tempted to lust, but we know that he never sinned. There was probably attractive people around Jesus all the time, and he was a human being in a sinful, fallen world. But being tempted to do something is not the same as actually doing it. It's not the same as actually taking that and doing something with it. Martin Luther's saying, you can't keep those birds of temptation from flying over your head, but you can keep them from landing. Like if a bird landed on my head right now and it started like putting twigs together and like flying to trees and coming back and I was just like, yeah, this is okay. I'm fine with it. That's what he's saying. Don't let the bird build a nest on your head. It's about the choice to let something in your heart take root and, and you feel it. That's what he's talking about. And no one else can see it or know, and no one can enforce it. I mean, Jesus is intense. He's setting such a high bar for us as human beings. Some of you might even, if you're human and you've struggled with this, like most human beings, some of you are probably thinking like, this just seems unrealistic. It makes sense to not go out and sleep with somebody, but what actually happens in my head? What actually happens in my heart? How can Jesus demand this from his disciples? What Jesus is saying is, the issue is the heart, and Jesus cares so much about our heart. 
He, Jesus says, out from the heart is where all life flows. So no matter how good we look on the outside, if our heart is corrupt, then there's going to be deep, deep issues. The culture around us says, hey, it's, it's private. That's, that's the way culture says. And culture honestly encourages this stuff. Like culture encourages us, like, hey, this is the lesser of two evils. Like, this is fine. Look at whatever you want, take in whatever you want, do whatever you want with it in your head. Just don't do anything to anyone in real life. In culture, it'll say it's, it's fine, it's private. You're not really having sex with anybody. Nobody knows. You don't have to really act on it. It's just pictures on a screen or movies in your head. And that's the way, a lot of times, the way the world works. It's, as a human being, how can I maximize pleasure and minimize my pain? And people will say, it's just what humans do. Why is it such a big deal? But clearly, in this text, it is a big deal to Jesus. It's a really big deal. And we'd say ending up in bed with somebody who's, or even checking them out in public, like where everyone can see us, like looking that person up and down, we'd say, oh, that's a public action that we can judge and say that's wrong. But Jesus says what happens in your heart is not a private secret, nothing. Jesus says it is a real serious action that you do towards somebody. And the crazy thing is they don't know about it. Nobody does, but God does. And he says, it's a real action and choice. And this is, this is honestly really heavy. Why does Jesus command self-mutilation as a solution? He's like, this is crazy. It's like all this thing that most people in the universe struggle with. And Jesus is like, I know y'all struggle with it, so just stop chopping off body parts and then you'll be fine. Like, then you'll be okay. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> we'll get to that. Why so serious though? Why is this such a big deal? I think we have to pause for a second and look at why is sex such a big deal to Jesus? Because it is. It absolutely is. And I want you guys, you learn so much about sexuality from the world. I want you guys to get some of what the Bible says. The reason why, it's, the reason why we view sex, the way we view sex is such a big deal to Jesus and such a big part of being his follower is because Sexuality is a big part of being in the kingdom. God created it for us as human beings to enjoy. It was a gift. It was something he like made and he's like, this is gonna be awesome and people are gonna love it and enjoy it. And, I'm, and, and it gets an extreme response from Jesus. The reason is because Jesus understands the vision and the purpose of it and the human body. Our bodies were made for worship and glorifying God. I don't know if you know this, but your body is not for you. It was created to be an instrument where everything that you do and say is something that God looks at and he's like, oh, that's awesome. I love that. That just, that, mm, I, I'm so blessed by these humans I have made. Like they glorify me with what they do. And, and God saw us back when he made the first human. He saw Adam and he said, he needs somebody. He needs somebody, not just me. Like, I mean, think about it. Like, do we really need somebody besides God? No, God could have just made Adam. There could have just been one human and nobody else. And God would have been perfectly fine with that. Adam would have been stoked. But God loved us so much that he was like, you know what? You really need a woman, man. And Eve wasn't even around, but he's like, Eve, you need Adam. And you're not even existent yet. So God created man and woman for one another. And I'm so glad he did. I love my life and I love my wife. I love my life because I love my wife. And, um, and I've just been so blessed to know her. She's made me a better person since the minute I met her. She, and every day she helps me become a better person. And I'm so blessed to have her. And, and, I, just, and I know that God has a plan for you guys, To the majority of you, he has a plan for you guys to be in a relationship one day, and it's going to be a relationship that flex, reflects him. 
He saw that humans needed companionship, so God created marriage. And sex is something that a husband and wife get to do that is worship. It bonds people together on a physical and spiritual level. It really absolutely does. And the reason that Jesus cares is because, it's not because he's a prude. It's not because he's just like, I can't believe people are doing this. Like, this is wrong. He's not some kind of prude. And he's not teaching people to repress themselves sexually. That would happen later on with church leaders. They would twist Jesus's words and say, your body is dirty and sex is gross and evil and don't enjoy it. It's just for making babies. That's a distortion. Go back to page one and two of the Bible. God creates man and woman. He gives them to one another, and he creates sexuality for them to enjoy together. God created all those things, and on on the day he was done, he said, it is good. He said, it is all good. And it was so good that there's even a book of the Bible that has a ton of references to being married and exploring sexuality. It's the Song of Solomon, and don't read it if you blush, Um, but it's a book about passion and romance. and, And Jesus, as a kid, would have heard that book read out loud in church every year as he grew up. It's the story of these two young lovers, and it's really, really, really awesome. So we know that God created it, and it's good, and it's not dirty, it's not weird, it's not wicked, but the problem is that Satan loves to twist the good things that God creates. The greatest goods in the universe are complex goods. What that means is they can't just be like, it can't just be black and white. Like, is this good or is this bad? Um, What is a metaphor that we can use? I think fire. I think fire is something that we can look at and we can relate to this because is fire bad or good? Well, the answer is fire can be good and it can be bad. When a fire's power is channeled for life-giving purposes, it's good. If, if I had a candle right now and it was sitting here and it was glowing and it was in the little candle holder and it was like lighting up the, well, it wouldn't light up the stage that much, but if, if I had a little romantic dinner with my wife and I put a candle on a table, it'd be nice. It'd be good. It, there wouldn't be anything bad about that. If, if I put a flame underneath a burner, I can make a quesadilla and that's good. I like that. I enjoy that. If I put a fire in a furnace with natural gas, then I can have fire in a fireplace and that is good. It warms the house and makes everything good. But the problem is, it's, it's good when it's an environment that brings life to others, but the exact same power, the exact same thing, fire, the exact same thing can bring incredible destruction. On Wednesday night, we were sitting around the fireplace and Rachel was poking the fire with some sticks and there was a napkin that caught on fire. And as Rachel was like poking the napkin, it flew up and it almost, you remember that? It almost caught that tree. And I was like, oh, this could be really bad in destruction. Like fire can be a good thing, but it can also be deadly if it leaves the containment of where it's supposed to be. A campfire can be awesome. But if that, if you're standing too close to that fire and the campfire like jumps up and like burns a hole in your nice new leather jacket, that's bad. If we have a fireplace, that's good. If a fire is burning, that's good. But if the fire leaves where it's supposed to be and it goes onto the carpet and it just burns all the crazy shag carpet in your creepy 70s house that you live in, um, it's bad. If, if I have a little candle and I break the barrier of the candle and I stick my finger into the fire, it'll burn me and consume 
my flesh. Uh, Jenna Heatherly was at our house uh, a couple weeks ago for church, and um, she was sitting right behind a candle, and she was like doing the thing where like she was gonna flip her hair back, and it she almost like flipped her hair back and like landed right on the fire before Emma Hill was like, no, don't do it. Fire can be really good, but it can also be really bad. So the question is, is it good or bad? It's not the right question. It's a power. It's a great, complex power. And in the same way, sex and romance has the ability and the opportunity between a husband and wife to be an expression of God's unconditional and adoring love. It's not just about saying wedding vows in front of people. It's not just about signing a marriage certificate and then you're good to go. It's, it's about the unifying of a body and a heart and a mind and a soul. When two people who are committed to each other as husband and wife have sex, their love and relationship grows deeper. And out of that passion and power, sometimes new life is generated. Children are able to be born through that. It's an amazing thing that God designed. And the vision is all there on page one and two of the Bible, Genesis. God lays it out. It's a great good. But the moment the protective environment of the covenant is gone, just like when you remove the fire from the fire pit and let it loose in the grass and the trees, the, the power can be destructive. It has the power to weld two people who aren't married. It can weld their hearts together and then they separate and it leaves deep spiritual and emotional burns and scars. And sometimes the remorse and regret of bad sexual decisions is baggage that people carry around with them daily. The scarring can sadly also take place through sexual abuse. I've known so many kids in my years of doing youth ministry who've been abused sexually and they are just some of the most broken people that I've met. It's so sad to see what, even though it's a blessing to see where God has taken them, it's so sad to to see the pain that lasts in their heart from the abuse. And it's sad because a lot of this stems from humans' view of sex in the body. It's very low. It's a very low view. It's all about what feels good. It's use people. Use people to make you feel good. Just look at the depiction of women in the media. It's really, really sad. Uh, there was a study recently where they took a bunch of movie posters and they were examining, the, like especially superhero movies, they were examining these movie posters. And what they noticed is that in almost every single poster, the guys were standing in ways that made them look like tough and heroic. But in almost every single superhero movie poster, if there was a girl, she was standing in a way where her body parts were visible. Like she was always turned at an angle where you could see like as much of her body as possible. And those were always the poses. And it shows that people objectify people. They look at women a lot. Women have it really bad. They're looked at as objects. It's a very low stance. You guys, listen to this. It's very sad to grow up with a viewpoint, but it's very hard not to grow up with it when every single movie that you watch depicts women that way, where they're just objects, and the only thing that makes them worth anything is how they look and whether or not they look good and whether or not they please people with their looks. It's very sad. But Jesus has the highest view of sex in the body in the universe because the world has that tweaked view and and Jesus is very forceful about his view. Jesus' view of the human purpose is in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40, where they ask him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, the greatest commandment is this, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. You guys have all heard that verse. Everything else hangs on that. You have to understand humans 
Other people are made in the image of God. C.S. Lewis says, the closest you will ever get on earth to seeing God is looking at the person who's sitting next to you on the bus. How does that make sense? It's because people are made in the image of God. So you can't look at like the hottest person, like according to, you know, the magazines, like the most, 100 most attractive men. So whoever's number one, like, I don't know, Brad Pitt or Matthew McConaughey or whoever, you can't look at him and be like, oh, that's what God looks like. Like, we don't know what God looks like, but we know that we as humans are made in the image. So that homeless guy that I talked to in the alleyway today, very well, maybe what God looks like. I don't know. So what is lust? Again, what is lust? It's when your heart, inside your heart, you stare at somebody and you fuel that sexual desire against that person's will. They don't even know what's happening. Guys, think about it. Like, what is that called when you sexually do something to someone without their will? Think about it. What is that called? It's called rape. If you are using somebody without their consent, that's pretty heavy stuff to think about. If you're just looking at someone and using them and they have no idea it's happening, that's really heavy to think about. The action says that other people don't matter. Other people are just objects for us to fulfill our pleasure. Other people exist for us so we can gain pleasure from their body parts is basically what Jesus is saying. If you look at somebody with that lustful stare, that's what's happening when you play that little movie in your head and you have that stare and that choice to use the stare to fuel the lust. And Jesus says it's a violation of the greatest mission of the kingdom. Jesus says that love elevates others. It, it lifts people up. It protects and honors and seeks the well-being of other people. And to treat other people as just a body or an object, it degrades their humanity and it degrades our humanity and it ticks Jesus off. He hates behavior that ruins relationships and uses other human beings. And love is what we were made for, not lust. We were not made for lust. Lust is not love. We were made for love. And sex is a part of that. God created us as sexual beings. He gave us a sex drive, but he never wanted us to let sex drive. When people let lust drive them, it turns them into animals, destructive, abusive, impulsive animals. And Jesus says it's a crime against humans to objectify them in your mind. Verse 28, again, he says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully. Now think about this. This is really interesting. He says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully. What gender is he talking about here? I don't want you guys to miss this because obviously lust is an issue that guys and girls, especially today, struggle with. But guys, for a second, let's put the attention on guys. What gender is he talking about? He's talking to men. He's talking to his disciples in the huge crowd. Who else is in that crowd? Women. But he addresses the men. Does he think that women never lust? No, Jesus knows everything. He knows that they do. So why is he addressing men? Well, for some men, the lustful thoughts they have stay secret but throughout history, what gender has been known to take those lustful thoughts and turn them into violence, abuse, and destruction? Men. We don't really need to have a vote on it. Like, it's pretty obvious when we look at the news. So the reason that he's doing this, one of the main reasons, I think, is because he's not just teaching them right or wrong. Jesus is launching the kingdom. He's saying, we are going to have a new kingdom, a new way of living, a new way of life, not just when we get to heaven, on earth. This is when it starts. And in the kingdom, people must act in a way that brings glory to God and love to others. And he's challenging the men who want to be in the kingdom to allow God to change not their behavior, but their hearts first. He wants to do this, I think, because God wants the kingdom to be a place that's safe for women. God wants the kingdom to be a place where girls feel safe. 
Where is the kingdom? Guys, girls, it's wherever you are. Because wherever you are, he is too. So young men who are disciples of Jesus, are the places you are safe for women? You might think, well, yeah, I mean, I've never done anything to a girl. Okay, but what about in your mind? Jesus is saying if Christians get together and lust after one another in their hearts, it's just as bad as if they were all sleeping together. So if, if you're at a place where Christians are, guys, if you're at a place where Christian girls are and you're using them in your mind against your will or against their will, if you, if you girls, if you look at a guy, guys, if you look at a girl with the lustful gaze, you're using them and you're treating them as way less than what they are, which is a daughter or a son of God. And it's a very huge issue to Jesus. So how are you guys doing? Um, we're almost done, but I think, you know, this is one of those things where we can hear this and we can kind of feel pretty terrible about ourselves as humans because we realize like, oh, snap, like we do this. This is actually a good thing because it's called conviction. And with Jesus, conviction is never the end of the story. Jesus does, doesn't come around because he wants you to feel bad. He wants you to be convicted. He wants you to feel bad about your sin, but he doesn't want to condemn you. With Jesus, it's never the end of the story. It's easy to live in a dump if you're wearing a blindfold. But what Jesus does is he takes off the blindfold and he shows us the dump that we're living in. And he shows us how great the life is in the kingdom. So let's consider as we wrap up his response. Jesus says, if it's your eye or your hand, chop it off. Okay, so let's pray. Just kidding. Um, if that's how we ended, you'd be like, oh my gosh, like, well, that's how Jesus works. Like, he, he, is, he loves to say these things that are shocking. Um, and, and we can treat our sin a lot of times as like, oh, it's okay. Like, I'm working on it. You know, I've got this sin issue. Jesus is serious about sin. He's like, hey, chop it off. But is he really saying we should self mutilate ourselves? We should actually chop off like whatever's causing us to sin? Um, that's clearly not the root of the problem because think about it. If you chop off your eye or your hand, what do you still have? Your heart. You can still lust in your heart without your eye or your hand. So here's something to think about. Jesus is talking about what is unreplaceable to you. Like, what do you look at? Like, think about it. An eye or a hand, that's completely unreplaceable. You can't replace an eye or a hand unless you're Luke Skywalker and then you get like a bionic hand. Um, but you can't replace that. It's super useful. You can't really live without your eye or your hands. It makes things work, and it impacts almost every aspect of how you operate in the world. But listen, if you have something that you think of as like irreplaceable, and I can't live without it, and I need it to survive, but if it's causing you to sin, if it's ruining you and destroying you and constantly leading you into temptation, Jesus would say, chop it off. Get rid of it. When a spider comes into my room to attack my wife, I don't think like, I don't think like, oh, maybe we'll let it live. Like we'll give that black widow like a probation period. And if it bites us a couple of times, like then we'll take it out. No, it's like quick, decisive. Like there's a spider, get the raid. Oh my gosh, let's kill this thing. That's what Jesus calls us to do with things that are causing us to sin. He's saying, don't mess with it. And Satan is out to consume us. He, he's out to destroy us in this way. Guys, running out of time. So to talk about the elephant in the room, our culture is the first in history that has made a huge percentage of our nation's economy. It's a multi-million dollar industry, which is pornography. And the whole purpose is to lure people in to degrading themselves and their own humanity. And there's millions of people who are doing this. 
And it's sad because the amount of pornography that you guys are exposed to from a young age is unequaled in the history of the human race. I'm sure that every one of you has seen something, at least. America has become infected with it, and we don't even take time to think about it. It's like we're a, we're a fish that's swimming in a muddy pond, and we're just so used to the mud, we don't even take the time to step out and look at it and see how dirty it really is. It's so normal. And I've heard young people, and, and I've heard people I've talked to, and it's like, it's not a big deal. It's just what humans do, but it's sin, and it's destructive, and it traps people. What you need to know is a huge percentage of the people who are involved in pornography, people who... Are, are doing that, people who are like there on the screens, a huge amount of them were sold into the sex slave market at a very young age, sometimes around the age of a junior hire. And there's no way of knowing like who those people are, how to verify, but there's a huge percentage of them who are basically being exploited by people in the sex trade industry, having to perform and do things against their will. And it's so sad that as a nation, people just eat it up. They just go for it. And it's so sad. And I've just known so many people who have been exposed to this from a very, very young age and struggle with it. Jesus says, it all starts in the heart. To God, it's a big deal. To our culture, sexual humor, it's, or just sexual things, they, make it, they try to make it funny. They try to make it something that's light. Something that's really important to God, a great strategy of Satan is to say, let's make this really unimportant. Let's make it all jokes. Let's make it all just, it's, it's so, I mean, guys, the culture that you guys live in is so just, it's crazy how much you guys are exposed to through things, through different apps. There's so many things out there. I mean, I don't even go on Vine anymore because there's just, it's just, there's trash on there. It's crazy. And it's just, you're flipping through and you can't, you can't help like from seeing it. It's like, it's everywhere. And what I've seen, honestly, if I'm honest with you guys, is your generation is one that takes that stuff very lightly. Like if it's funny, it doesn't matter if it's sexual. If it's funny, then we'll laugh at it. If it's funny, then we'll look at it. If it's cool, if it's got a good beat, then we'll listen to it. I remember... I was on Instagram, my wife and I were, and we were looking at like the Instagram of a kid that we used to know. And they had posted something that was like pretty sexual. And when we looked to see who had liked it, it was like a bunch of Christian kids that we knew. And we were like, what on earth? Like, why? Why do we do that? Why do we just subscribe to those things and go, it's not that big a deal. God says it is a good deal. or <laughs> Not a good deal, a big deal. Here's the reality. Sex without God in the picture is like a black hole. It can never be satisfied. And as you go from relationship to relationship, to images on the screen, to movies playing in your head, you will see it will never be enough. And those of you guys who've been involved with this, you know You'll just keep pulling people created in God's image to use them for your own pleasure into a black pit of despair and you will never be fulfilled. You just keep trying and trying to fulfill yourself when really God's like, I've made you for somebody, one person and one only that you can have this amazing intimate relationship with them. But instead you just keep pulling people into this void in your heart and, and it leads to nothing but death and brokenness. And I wanna tell you guys, you're better than that. God made you to be better than that. And no matter what your situation is now, maybe you're here today and you've never done anything, anything wrong. Maybe you've never even looked at anything wrong. Good for you. 
Do what Ben Corson says and pray that God would protect your heart now. Don't wait for the enemy to strike. Know that he will and start praying now. But maybe today you're struggling. Maybe you're addicted to this type of sin. Maybe you've even slept around a little bit and you just feel like broken up inside. I want you to know that the judgment for sin was made a long time ago when Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus took that penalty and he died for every sin. And now God can look at us and instead of judging our sins, he can forgive those sins. And he helps us to become more like him every day when we choose to follow him. He's committed to making you a new creation. And if you will turn from your sin and turn to him, then God will forgive you and heal you. But we can't just pray, Lord, make it so I never sin again. God calls us to action. He calls us to take steps when walk towards him. And for many of you, that means you need to tell someone about your struggles. For many of us, it's not our hand or our eye. Maybe for you, it's, maybe it's this thing. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe you just have like an unrestricted, unlimited access to pornography and filth. And, and maybe you're even like talking to actual people on different social media apps that you know are causing you to sin and your parents have no idea and you send a photo and they send a photo and it self-destructs in six seconds or whatever. And, and maybe that's just, it's poisoning your mind. Guys, it's time to be the right kind of rebel and rebel against the enemy's plan to destroy your view of love and sex. For some of you guys, maybe you need to get a dumb phone. Like, oh my gosh, that'd be crazy, right? To get a dumb phone instead of a smartphone. Think about it. Jesus said, what does he say? Chop off your hand or your eye. That's pretty serious stuff. And you might think like, I can't live without this. And for many, like I would feel like I can't live without my phone because everything I do is just with my phone. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe it's like, just like your hand and eye. It's like, you can't live without it. But what does Jesus say? He says, chop it off. That's why for me, that's why like, I don't want to deal with that. So that's why I actually, I actually pay 40 bucks a month to put filters on my phone just so that door is closed and so things like that can't happen. That's why if any girl ever texts me, I immediately go to my wife and say, hey, just so you know, like some of you girls, you may have texted me before to ask questions about things. Like I always just go to my wife and say, hey, Brooklyn, just so you know, here's, here's this. Someone texted me because we don't want those doors open. We need accountability we need to have purity in our life. That's why I don't personally use Snapchat because I've known guys who've been in ministry and people have sent them dirty stuff. And it's like, I don't want to deal with that. Some of you guys may have had that and it may have happened. Why have that door open? If it's happened once, like why let it happen again? Why not just delete it? Listen, you can have filters. If you don't have filters, if you're a dude or if you're, if you're a girl, you can talk to Brooklyn. I don't even know. Um, but if you're a dude, if you, if you need filters on your computer or your phone to help you, like, let me know. I'm never going to judge anybody. Everyone needs help. But listen, Jesus wants to create in you a clean heart. You can't put a filter on your heart. No matter what, no matter how hard you try, it starts in the heart. Everything starts in the heart, whether you're a guy or a girl. Everything starts in the heart. And Jesus says to all who struggle, I love you, I forgive you, and I wanna work in you. I wanna create in you a clean heart and renew a right spirit within you. Remember when we share the gospel with people, I've told you it's three parts. Sickness, cure, and what are you gonna do about it? When we talked to those surfers a couple weeks ago and they got saved, it was like just, here's sin, here's the cure, it's Jesus, what are you gonna do about it? And they said, we want to get saved. 
It's the same for us as Christians. Every time we open up the Bible, we see sickness, we see sin, we see the cure, it's Jesus and his words. And the question is, what are you gonna do about it? And my question for you is, as a human being who probably struggles with these things like everybody else, what are you gonna do about Jesus's words? What action are you going to take to make a difference in this area? I wanna pray for you that God will show you what to do with his words. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that sometimes in the Bible, your messages get heavy. God, we ask that you would show us what to do with your words. I pray for these students, whether they're guys or girls, as they struggle through life and just all the temptations that are before them, whether it's people who are around them who are tempting them to actually act on physical lust, whether it's mentally checking people out and, and using those, those images for things later on, whether it's pornography, whether it's social media apps where they are just getting involved in things that are just sexual in a way that does not please you. Lord, I pray that you would convict now. I pray that you would stir people up to the point where they're like, this needs to stop. I need to do something about this or it'll destroy my life now and my future relationships later. I pray no one would wait to chop off that hand or that eye if it is causing them to sin, just like we wouldn't let a bird build a nest on our head or let a black widow spider crawl over our body and hope it wouldn't bite us. God, I pray that we would treat sin seriously. God, if there's anyone here today who's struggling with guilt over the things they've done, I pray you'd help them to know there is hope and there's freedom and there's no condemnation for those who follow Jesus Christ. You look at us, God, not as a judge who is angry with us, but as a doctor who sees the cancer inside our hearts. I pray that we'd come to you as the great physician and ask for healing. I pray, Jesus, that we would let you do a work in our heart, whether that means we confess to somebody who loves us, whether it's a parent or a counselor, whether that's us making the decision to take steps in the direction of purity. I pray, God, that for every person, if there's anyone here who doesn't struggle with this, but Lord, I pray they would know the enemy is out to get them, that they would begin to pray and put things in motion in their lives that would protect them from these things. Lord, help us to take your words as truth. Help us, Lord, to understand you don't care as much about the outward as you do the inward. Help us, God, to not just clean up our outward act and then sin in our hearts and minds. Help us, God, to work on our hearts. Help us, God, to seek you daily and beg you for help. Help us, Lord, to fall down on our knees on a regular basis, Lord, and bring these things to you and ask you for your guidance. And Lord, we know that you can make us clean. We know that you can guide us, Lord. We know, God, that you can redeem any sins that have happened in this room. We know, God, that you, just like like a rose with its petals fallen off, Lord, looks just hideous to the world. You can put all those petals back on and make that rose even more beautiful than it was before. Help us, God, to give our hearts to you and not let anyone make us feel convicted or horrible, but understand that no matter what we've done, if we have you, Jesus, we're a new creation. I pray that you'd, you'd bring freedom to anyone here who's struggling. And I pray, God, that you would protect those who aren't. And God, I pray that you would bless them as they seek you in purity and in hope and love and truth. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.